You are listening to Paolo DeMarco Podcast with Alan Campbell. Today on the Paolo DeMarco Podcast, we are with Ricardo. He is a F1 driver. Welcome. How are you? I'm very well, Alan. How are you? Um, I'm doing great. When you were eight years old and started driving and karting, was it always your dream to become a Formula One driver? Well, when you start, of course, I was crazy about Formula One on TV from a young age because of uh, you know because it was on TV all the time uh, through my father. I was watching, and I, actually, I used to before that I used to to dismantle my my cars that people would give it to me and my parents uh, Christmas uh, gifts. Of, and I used to do racing and proper uh, results, you know, with the shit, proper uh, championship scores. So, so uh, I was already into big much into racing. And of course, when my father gave me a, a go kart when I was just, I was seven years old, I started racing with eight, nine. Um, yeah, of course, uh, that was my 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 completing my dream. In the moment I, that time, I used to say I want to go to, to be F1, but I didn't, I didn't realize yet what it was, you know. Um, I just was. I wanted to be there, and um, and uh, and you create this dream about F1, something special that you see on on TV that everybody's like superheroes driving that fast the cars, you know, in control speed. And I wanted to be there, and uh, without realizing what would be the path and uh, how complex it could be. You know. How old were you when you were assembling cars? Oh, I don't know. Actually, I, I was so young. Uh, because, oh my you know, gosh! <laughs> because and 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 actually, I used to do the worst, you know, because they used to give me small cars to play, you know, toy cars, and uh, I, then in my father had a lot of cars collection, you know, inside of the vitrines at car collection. I used to take it off the glass um, and screw the cars and just uh, use that, you know, as a competition, as a racing cars. My father used to go mad about it. Oh, I wanted to race in F1, or probably I would be one of the organizers. I don't know what was going through my head in that time, but yes, I was was very keen into into competition, and I didn't start actually in racing. Actually, I started in martial arts because my my father was a Portuguese several times Portuguese champion in, in judo, and he used to go one of the Olympics, and and my grandfather actually helped to bring. A, Judo to Angola because in that time we were still living in Angola, and um, and uh, and I started with judo. But as soon as I got, but I liked cars and playing and stuff, and uh, and as soon as I got first go kart, I didn't I didn't want to to be in the ring or or develop. It was good. It's good for my fitness and for my my mental training. But as soon as I drove the go kart, I said no, this is it. I want I wanted more. I wanted more. You know. But it's normal when you. When you're only seven years old and they give you a fast cart, you know? It's not a play, it's not a joke, they just give you a fast cart. It's, it's, it's impossible to control. Do you think that you love the adrenaline, seeing that you were starting out as in martial arts and then you transitioned to driving? Yes, I guess so. But, it, you know, it's a it's, it's, it's completely different kind of mentality, actually, because it's, it's one of that martial arts that uh, they teach you how to be relaxed, how to be focused, how to be in control. With your, um, I say, with your feelings, you know, uh, and uh, and with your body, and then suddenly going go kart. That you, it's a very aggressive sport. It's almost contact because it's, it's not a single seater, not a, a normal car that you have, have contact. There's car damage, and that that's it. No, actually, in go kart, there's proper contact. You touch each other, you push, 
and uh, and you have to be very aggressive and was the, and probably actually I was more adrenaline addict than uh, that in uh, that beginning of being uh, in uh, in the most more in harmony kind of environment you know. Mm, so the addiction really pushed you when you started out. Yeah. Yes. It, it does. And I think the addiction is the, the, the is an addiction. And when we say that uh, adrenaline is addiction, it is because it, it is the moment you try it, it seems that you want it more. And the, the way it works sometimes is, uh, of course, before the the green light or before testing or whatever, there's there's always a, a little bit of you that is scared, right? Uh, because uh, you're going that speed, or you have to do a race, you you're scared to fail, uh, whatever. But it increases your adrenaline, it increases your rush, increases your focus, and um, and actually, it's that feeling that is addictive. Do you ever think about, like, if you were to crash or if you were to get any damages, or do you mainly just focus on winning or, uh, like, thinking about other drivers? Which which one's the main thought process? Um, it, it's strange, actually. It's uh, some some depends depends of your your uh, your state of mind, really. Um, it, it and depends of the the categories. When you start feeling more pressure, when you when you on go karting, you do, you have that rush and stuff. But it's more like you don't you're not afraid of crashing the first corner. You're only afraid that you can go through the first corner, or you can't get that much results because then it is going to uh, conditionate your race after that. You know because you have to take care of your tires and stuff. So it's uh, it, it's because you you get very. Uh, you try to calculate every single step. You get more, uh, how you say, more detailed in in, your, in the way you think, and uh, and sometimes you just want to, you just that rush of the first corner is you get a good position, nobody crashing to you, and you can go through it. So and then you can control your your race, you know, uh, because at that moment you're in control, but you have other kind of environment around you that uh, that you you can't control, and um, but also when you go up to the classes. Sometimes the pressure goes different. It depends. Sometimes you you having lack of sponsorship, so you have to you have to to perform in that race without doing any kind of damage because you're trying to find more sponsorships, or else you can keep going, or all the way around, or you have sponsors there, or you you have a, you already get a contact to Formula One team and you want to for them to notice you. So it's different kind of pressures you have. Every single race weekend, or if the qualify goes bad and you have to, you have to, to, to try to change into the race. It's, um, but it's funny how the of how your mind works because it adapts every single situation you are. You know? And when you the visor goes down and you start the engine, it looks like suddenly you calm down. You know, you just calm down. You just focus in your thing and uh, and try to to make the most of it. You know? What has been your greatest achievement? In your career, getting to Formula One actually, um, because when I got to F one, actually, it was was it was was hard. I had I have I had a massive handicap because uh, it was the first time um, a, a racing driver with an Angolan nationality was trying to get in, in Formula One. Um, so I had to go to support, get, trying to get support from my country that racing. Was part of culture in the national racing, but not like this international level, you know. And then, um, and it's not normal. Normally, you have a lot of Brazilian drivers, uh, English drivers, German drivers. You know, mine was a bit different. 
And I knew that I had a lot of pressure to try to. Um, the first time I tested Formula One car, or the, every every race I go, I'll be more. I said people will be more analytical about my results because I was the only one. Okay, so it's not like it was normal. You had like ten or fifteen drivers the same nationality. No, I was the only one, so it was harder. And the moment I got to Formula One, um, that uh, that was pressure. You know, the first time I sit in the car. Uh, and uh, because of all that was I finally made it from all the adversities um, I was sitting there then had all the journalists in front of the garage because they were curious to know who was sitting in that car and then uh, and then I had the, it was the first time that car was on track because I was in KTRM was uh, was um, wasn't that fast team really it was uh, it was they were competing in through it back because it they were just a new team, and that actually belonged to Tony Fernandez that he owns AirAsia, the the, the airplane company in in Malaysia, in Malaysia. and um, and they were uh, and they were saying because it was the shakedown of the car the first time I was was me first time shaking down the car that day, and they were like, please, you tr- you can try to prove as fast as you can that you are good. But if you do a mistake and you can and and you we're going to get a setback, you're going to prove us that you not belong here. So so you know so that all that kind of pressure. And uh, but in the end of the day, well, was I, I stopped and I say everything worth it. it. Was that moment that I felt that everything worth it? You know. What is it about Formula One that you love the most? The the complexity of everything, you know. Uh, it's the one of the is the pinnacle of motorsport. It's the pinnacle of in terms of technology. Um, it's almost like a spacecraft. Um, everything around Formula One is on the peak of technology, peak of performance. Um, everybody has to be in perfect harmony. All the or the pit crew, the mechanics, the driver, everything is. You have a, a massive staff. For example, in the race weekend, you have a lot of a lot of staff per team. And then, and everybody's working very coordinated. Uh, and then, of course, is the speed. The the fact that is the best drivers in the world are. Um, everything is to the limit. You stress. Everything is stressed. Of course, you're always in big pressure. That, as you said before, is like the pressure, the adrenaline that you can get enough you know, of it. It's like the rush. It's like an an addiction. And the. Is everything actually around the Formula One that uh, makes it so special? Special, you know. What do you think will be in the future for electric cars and racing? Will they take over traditional racing cars? Uh, well, that's a that's a massive question, actually, because um, it's a, a really good question that a lot of people actually been thinking thinking the way it goes. We see the, the normal manufacturers uh, going to electric technology. Um, also, now the going into a, everybody going to electric technology is very important because of stuff with the combustion engine, stuff with the, that uh, kind of pollution here, um, plus um, all the oils and everything. So uh, it's very important. But for example, we have Forma E already. Uh, Forma E is is doing an amazing job because it's a the champion is started uh, 
not many years ago. And they, they keep developing, developing, developing. And I think they're going to get into a stage that when Formula One sees it, Formula One will t- try to go into it, into electric. At the moment also, uh, a man, moment already, Formula One actually is the most efficient engine um, there is in the world. Also, and, and they are a hybrid system. They have already an hybrid system. So uh, they're already walking that way, like for me, because more and more is more important to the carbon footprint. So, um, so I think it's very important, to be honest. It's very important we go that way. It's very important we get more awareness of the environment. It's very important that these main uh, sports that are more visible and have to be um, they have to be used for educational to educate people to to be the reference, to be the example. You know, so um, so um, so I, I see it every year changing. It every year everybody thinking how they can do it to keep the the high profile, keeping the the technology high, keeping the everything as a, as I said, the pinnacle of technology, and showing that it's possible. We're going through that way. That it's possible. We reduce the pollution. It's possible to reduce the carbon footprint. So it's so I think it's um, something is growing and something that uh, that it way to go. To be honest, you know. Seeing that you have finished F1 racing, what projects are you working on now? It, well, actually, I'm still working for Formula One um, because as soon as well, I left, I was test driver with Ketram and then uh, then um, then I started doing other racing and driver coaching. And I do a lot. Still, I, I do a lot of manufacturing events, and I left that world of Formula One um, and. Uh, and I start doing a, a lot of testing for manufacturers. Uh, I start doing, as I say, events for some manufacturers, car launches. Um, and then I did a few races in prototypes in Asia uh, with the Jackie Chan uh, racing team. And then, uh, from, and then, I'm, and then one day I, I, I found that you know something was missing. I really wanted to go back to watch a Formula One race because I missed the environment, I missed the people. So when I went back, I. I spoke with uh, a few friends, and uh, a few months I received a, a call to, if I was interested, come back to Formula One, but with a different role, you know, a more diplomatic role. And um, and I did, I did in 2019, and now I'm working um, most of the races uh, because of this pandemic, of course, because it's unfortunate of we being with a lot of restrictions because of uh, because of COVID. Um, but I worked uh, in Formula One as a as expert as a host as a, an ambassador, um, and uh, it's great. And and besides, uh, parallel to that, I have some other uh, projects like uh, management and driver coaching for young drivers, and uh, and also uh, uh, some other things that will come in terms of networking involved Formula One. How do you prepare for a race, and what goes through your mind? Um, well, the, you're always preparing throughout the week, you know, the way that, uh, because not the, you have the trainers, you have the nutrition, um, you have always someone with you that is like a mentor, a driver, coach, mentor, personal trainer, you know, someone that is important to have someone to follow you that uh, knows you, knows how to push you, knows when you need to relax, knows when you need your space, you know, someone that takes care of everything that so you can be more focused to the race. 
uh, without avoid, avoid, uh, avoiding a little bit of external noise. And uh, and everything is prepared for you when you get to race weekend. So you start, for example, a normal day, you go to, to the gym, you do meditation, you eat certain a certain time so your body is ready for that weekend because of the time zone. Um, you do a lot of mental training. Um, it's not just about putting strength into your body, but also making your mind strong. You know, so you do a lot of mental strain, uh, training, a lot of coordination exercises, and then you prepare that for the race weekend. And then, as soon as you get to the race weekend, it's more about getting yourself into the zone. So concentration, uh, visualization. Uh, when you sit in the car, just visualize the full lap without without driving, you know, just by visualizing the, the, the full lap, trying to get into, into the rhythm. Right. And sometimes actually when you, when you, when you in that zone, in that mental stage, stage is actually, that's how funny your mind works. When you get into that mental stage, it's almost possible to do a, a, a lap similar to that you do when you're out there in the racing car, you know, driving just through your mind, you know, try and simulate everything, every single step. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that's basically how you prepare to the race. It's just, uh, just trying to get uh, yourself in your mindset into, into the mode. So when you get into the jump to the car, it's like, okay, just driving now, but uh, everything comes automatic, you know, everything is there sticking in your head already. Are you able to put yourself in the driver's seat when it's a new racetrack? Yeah. Uh, it's like, uh, you have, when is a new racetrack? Uh, you do a lot of work in the in the simulator also, you know. So it's never a new new track when you go out there. It's like um, you because the the factories, the teams have uh, all these high tech uh, simulators. So they go a few days before, a few weeks before. They got the 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 photo of the track. They they trans they trans they pass into the simulator, and then you have the simulator and spend hours in the simulator driving and trying different things for actually trying to simulate for this the car setup but also for you to get used to the, the track and then when you go there actually we go for a walk we we walk the track with engineers to see if there's anything different a curb higher mm -hmm. a bump higher uh, some more bumps uh, different on tire max and so you analyze everything when you go for a walk on track and then when you sit, you just visual. You saw the track. You went for a walk. Sometimes I go for a run after that, just to, to just to, to. You're just running, but because you're just looking, your mind is processing the information, right? So you you're getting that the circuit into your head. Um. Some then in the morning I just go for a cycle around, and then after that you just you just look into the into the data. It's like matrix. Okay, so you're seeing like lines only. Uh, but you see lines, and uh, but you know what it is, and you, where you're breaking, where you're accelerating. You can associate that, um, and then you just close your eyes, just memorize. So try and visualize the track, how the best way to approach, how the best way to attack the corner, best lines. And then when you sit in the car and you go for it, it's instinct, you know, because um, you uh, you went through so much, so many process until the moment you just just out on track that you the idea on track is just try to go faster it's like you've already been there but with a different car and then just focus on the setup of the car yeah you know, on the the feeling of the car
You've said that diet is the most important thing for a balanced body and mind. Yeah. How do you implement this in your life? Uh, it, it, in in beginning, it's it's hard, you know, when when we ever when you are very young to to try to make a diet. Uh, when I say diet, is not like not eating, of course, it's eating healthy, right? Um, taking the sugars out, uh, taking the not drink alcohol. Uh, hydration is uh, eating water, drinking water. Sorry, my English. Drinking water is uh, is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, minerals, uh, vi- uh, vitamins. So in the beginning, it's hard because when I went to, for example, I went to 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 England very young when I was 17 years old by myself. Okay, so I had to live with the team owners because I wasn't old enough to live by myself. Um, in the beginning, and then I start living with another racing drivers by myself, depending on the team owners. And uh, and the, when you are alone, to trying to make a nutrition that people are giving to you, uh, it's hard because you know you go to a shop, you see a chocolate. You're young, you you go out, you see your friends drinking, you know. And it, in the beginning, it's difficult, you know, because you think you're making such a big sacrifice, you know, that all of this is a sacrifice. It's difficult. It's difficult to stick. But the moment you see your body changes, the moment you see your mind changes also, and you, it, then it gets natural. Now it's natural. I don't, I don't say that I do a diet now, for example. I say that is my, my, my way of eating, you know, is my, my routine, is my, my normal thing. I don't, I don't look, for example, to sweets or, or um, a fast food like uh, it's a sacrifice. I I want to eat it so much. No, I just look at it and it doesn't feel like you know because if I'm hungry, I eat a fruit. If I'm hungry, I eat something you know different. You know, I cook something. I cook some eggs. So it's um, so now it's like a lifestyle. You know, it's like a routine. It's not like it's not like uh, something that I implement anymore. It's just just something that I I keep doing it because I feel good. And it, it's funny because. The older you get, because you get this regime in terms of healthy food, I, I do a lot of meditation also. Um, and, uh, and of course, that's a big play when I did martial arts when I was young, so I helped. Um, but uh, you, you get older, but your body doesn't change that much. You know, People say, oh, when you get old, your body is going to get transformed. You know, you're not going to be, it's going to be so difficult to keep it lean and all that. And, and it's not, you know. Just because we keep the routine, it's a repetition, you know. So it's like everything is. I feel as good as I was when I was twenties, you know. So it's 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 very important healthy foods, how to eat. Mm. I think that discipline with either maintaining a diet or physical exercise or even studying is giving your own self a huge form of respect. Yeah. Whenever someone will come up to you and offer you a drink. Because this is very, this is really common with yeah. everybody. What did you used to do um, to turn them down? Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's in in the in, in the beginning, it's, it's difficult. It's it's a very good point because sometimes you say no, I don't want to, but uh, sometimes you're in an environment that uh, your friends or where, who you are with, or, or in a in a business meeting, for example, or, or something, they'll say. Now drink it just this time, you know. I'll just drink and don't be like that. Yeah. Um, just have fun. 
And it's very difficult because sometimes you think, oh, yeah, you're right. Just this time, you know, I just have fun. But then, but but the good thing is I always had a good environment around me that always respected what I was doing, what I was fighting for, what I was trying to achieve, you know. And um, and also, so I never get, I never get into that, that I never got the time actually that uh, I was forced to say no. Because the first time I say no, people say, okay, fair enough. Um, and always my excuse was, I can be out, I can go to bed 2 or 3 a.m. because I'm just relaxing a little bit with some friends. But I won't wake up early because I have to go to train. I have to go to hit the gym. I have to go for a run. I need to, to warm up. I do. I want to go for a go-kart track or something, you know. So, so actually, I was lucky enough in that aspect to respect. Of course, you have one or sometimes that uh, you do it, you know, for fun. And, but actually, when I do that, when I have a drink or I, I have different kind of food, actually, it's after the race weekend, normally. It's when you're relaxing with all the drivers that went through the same process, you know, um, with our personal trainers that going through the same process to help you. And after the race weekend, of course, you have that after parties. And, uh, and then you think, okay, we're going to leave everything here, you know. We're going to drink everything we can until we pass out. We're going to eat as much food we want. But, but uh, because we knew that we were just in that time, because Monday we're going back to normal, you know. And uh, and it was funny. We did this so many times that you end up not going, not want to go out anymore, you know, not want to go to after party anymore because I don't want to, you know. Or going and you think I'm not drinking that much because I don't want to. I don't like, you know. So is that to say the, the repetition, the process, the 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 consistency, you end up um, making things normal, you know. What advice would you give? to your younger self when first starting Formula One? Uh, oh, wow. Is <laughs> what I say. If I could go back and have the mind of an older, older person and more experienced and then uh, with, uh, with the anger of, uh, of, um, of fearless of um, a younger, it would be easier, wasn't it, for everyone? Uh, no, probably, of course, I'll change something, but I'll, I'll say that in some situations to, to keep it more relaxed, you know, to... To don't worry so much, to just enjoy it, because I feel sometimes mm. I didn't enjoy mm. that much because, so I say the, the pressure, some things, so much things in your head, the, the publicity, the journalists, the, the teams, the team manager, the engineer, the the result, the sponsors being there, and then we end up in a loop that is a job. You have a lot of pressure behind in in in, in your shoulders, and then, and probably I'd say just enjoy it more. You know, this is not going to last. Just enjoy the, the the journey. Yeah, there's so many expectations, but just to sit back and really appreciate the moments extremely rare in those yeah, situations. Yeah, it is because the the, the the people around and doesn't help because of course we're living the moment, right? And in that moment is is what we need is that result is that uh, is that thing is that um, is that uh, appearance is is whatever is. That moment, everything is great, and you don't think that probably you, if you enjoy it more, uh, things will get, get more natural. You know, you could uh, easy off the the, the 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 pressure of you, and then and of course, when you have that much pressure, and then the results probably doesn't sometimes don't come because it's normal. You don't you don't get good results in every single weekend. You, you don't get it's mm. it, you 
and you're always learning because you're always failing. It's funny, actually, last last was two years ago, I was in Barcelona with them, talking with them, with them, with a high tech company, and they said to me, actually, the same question, but uh, actually, almost the same question it was like, what could you, what advice could you give to if you could? Uh, trying to implement racing into a normal office, normal job, you know. And let's say that in the race week and you go through so many, that's why it's, it's so special, I think, the sports, sports in general, you know. Because during the weekend, you go through so many phases of your state of mind. You get to the weekend very confident. Then, of course, then you start getting the pressure. And then if the first training, if the first testing or the first trial, like the, the Olympic athletes, so whatever, if it doesn't go well, then starts the doubt and the pressure because the next training you have to get better, right? And then if it goes well, then you go again happy and then you get to qualify. If qualify doesn't go well, you go very depressed because you get all the pressure again and you have to try to figure out how you're going to do it to turn over so you spend a day in hell. And then you go to race and then probably if it goes well, you you end up the weekend like feeling amazing, you know, very good and accomplished, and your 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 job accomplished. So it's like you go to so many process in terms of your your state in just in three days, and and uh, and 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 you get really fatigued, mind, body, everything, because it's not just is part of the physical, but always also the mind is a big blow every time, you know. So it's. Uh, so I say that sometimes we just have to step back and just try to relax, you know, just to enjoy the process, just to enjoy the things, just just trying to learn with the mistakes and not trying to to have the pressure to correct them, you know, learn, go better. Would you say that meditation has really helped you improve your state of mind as you know, bringing it to like a point of relaxation that you can actually focus onto these new things? Uh, yes, it does actually. Um, we... We, I, I did also hypnotherapy, you know, um, to try and get very in that state of mind that you try and almost get hypnose yourself. And uh, but uh, beginning was was very very difficult. It took me years to try to get uh, into to manage to, to manage to use meditation in the right way because uh, I, I I was very nervous. All the time, I was very anxious, nervous, um, and uh, every time I closed my eyes to meditate, I was trying to focus, and then suddenly I started thinking in 100 things same time. So it was even worse, you know. So uh, it took me a long time to try to realize, how, a long time to try to to control, because all my head used to be like you know a train, you know, moving. Uh, have you ever tried meditating in the sauna? No, I used to work out in the sauna. Never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? <laughs> how was how was that? How was working out in the sauna? <laughs> Very painful. Oh my god! Have you ever done um? Have you ever done yoga no, in the no, sauna? No. Oh, just just working out. Okay, that, that's I, I yeah, that's really try, different. Well, I used to I used to start working out in the sauna because to try to get used to. To hot temperatures, to the temperatures you get into inside of the car, because you have overalls, the the fire suit proof, helmet. Then you have to use use you sitting, 
with your back cleaning in the in the in the in the, in the fuel tank, the fuel cell, uh, plus the engine, and then you go to hot country. So you get very high temperatures. You know, forty plus forty is fifty degrees inside of the car. So um, so you you will sometimes. The most I, I lost in a race was almost was six kilos and something just in the liquids. So I, so I used to try to train the sauna to try to get used to when you try to breathe and you burn in through your lungs, you know, just to try to control that. And it's painful. How did you feel when becoming the first Angolan to get in Formula uh, One? Amazing. Uh, amazing. Uh, it's, um, it's such a special feeling. But you only, I only felt, well, I, it's strange because when I drove it, um, was was in the news there. And um, and was actually was in news in Angola and in Portugal because I have double nationality. Um, but when I went there is when I realized how important it was, how much impact I did, you know. Because before that I was I was in the team. I was in England and I fly to to Barcelona. I did the first testing. Everything was was um, was on the on the news. Yeah, but I was doing a job to the team. I was driving. And then I, I drove the Formula One car and I thought, oh my God, this is special. But because I accomplished something, right? And then when I, then when I saw the impact I was having in Angola, I said, yeah, this is this is amazing. This this feels so good. It feels so that the effort pays off. But then when I went there, and I saw actually how good it was because I could show people that it was possible. I could show young kids that if they start on sports, they can accomplish everything they want, you know, as long as they, they have the, they want, they want that much, they want, they have the, the willing to sacrifice. And that was special. It was very, very special. Who were your mentors when growing up? Uh, on racing, um, of course, I remember Sienna, right? Um, when uh, I meant idols or men- mentors next to me. How was it? <laughs> Both? Uh, no, yeah, of course. In, in terms of idol, I just remember Senna uh, because, of course, he was uh, he marked the generation. I still remember I was watching the race when he had that, the crash in Imola um, that unfortunately took his life. But then I, I saw Schumacher and I knew that it was mixed, mixed that people, some people love him, some people hate him, was an all between. But uh, his dedication and his focus and his sense of sacrificing. Is what managed to put him where he was, um, a legend in terms of world titles, in terms of um, in terms of sports itself. Um, but also, I, I I used to look to another sports person like Michael Jordan. I think is one of the best athletes of all times. You know what he did with the teams was that mental mental thing was was amazing. It wasn't physically in his case. It was mental, mental, mental. How he could push the full team behind him. Was something that is unreal, you know, making such a, one person making such a big difference. And of course, in terms of mentors, I have to say my father. My father was there every single step of the way. You know, I had, I had, I was lucky enough to have, um, and I'm still lucky to have a very close family. So was my father was always there with me and trying to, uh, try to put me always in the right track. Um, my sister was always. To every single race, my mother was so much scared to fly to a race. She went, she went all into one kart race that I was racing, and uh, the guy was behind me. 
uh, had a massive crash and she said after that I don't want to watch any more races you know and uh, but she was there to support me she used to switch on the TV and go close herself in the bedroom so she was just hearing you know so she couldn't see the image but and she was still supporting still pushing even she was so scared that something could happen to me every time something goes wrong she said to me come on push go harder go quicker do whatever you, want, you have to do you know so uh, I was so blessed through all my life to to have my family always with me. How has COVID nineteen affected Formula One? Well, it was was, uh, was 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 difficult. Our last year was 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 hard because when the COVID really hit, everybody was in Australia for the first Grand Prix, and um, and the numbers were was, were spiking in Italy, um, then passing to. To, to the rest of the countries in Europe. And Australia was just getting the first cases. And, uh, and then suddenly everybody said that all full Europe is going to a quick lockdown because nobody knew what it was really. And everybody was scared of the impact. And, and, the, and they were dragging the decision because imagine the, the circuit full of people um, in the middle of the park in Melbourne. Because it's like almost a street race, you know, middle of the park, full of people. People want to get into the circuit, locked. No, no kind of information. Nobody knew what, really, what to do, and they drag until the Wednesday, until the Saturday before qualifying, and then it completely cancelled. So you can imagine everybody was completely lost. You know, teams wanted to come home, mechanics or staff, engineers, drivers wanted to come home to see the families because everybody was worried. So it was it was a big impact, it was a big shock. And then it was to try to adapt, you know, to try to adapt to the situation, to trying to to keep going as quick as possible, maintaining everybody safe. Um not just uh, everyone that is inside of the circle, um, but also the family of the people that are inside of the circle because that guys everybody have to go home some point and they have the people have fathers, have have mothers, have uh, wife, husband, you know, kids. It's uh, so it's it was was hard to try to create a safe environment or at least almost safe environment, almost controlled environment for everyone. And then it was was three months difficult, but then everybody adapted and and it was was nice to be able to keep going because then everybody was home lo- locked down. You couldn't fight to the race, but at least could watch the races. And it was one of the most exciting years. Honestly, last year, because they have to implement it, they have to go to a new circuit. It's the weren't in the calendar. That Portimao in Portugal here, because I'm in Portugal at the moment. Imola um, circuits like this, Mugello, that weren't in the calendar, weren't even dreaming to to receive F1, and suddenly they're receiving F1 because the circuit is located in a place that can be uh, held in a safe environment for for everyone. And uh, and not, none of the teams were ready. None of the drivers were that ready. So it created very exciting races, very unpredictable results. It wasn't just Mercedes, Mercedes, Mercedes. And uh, and uh, and actually the, the TV race increased a lot. So it was was fantastic. You know. What's in the future no for idea. you? You know, no idea. It's uh, I keep open mind of everything. I have a problem. I say yes to everything that comes along. And, if you see a project, I say yes, let's go for it. You never know what what's in the other end. You know, um, I don't 
don't hold back. I just say whatever it comes, whatever it goes, you know, in terms of uh, challenges. And I, I love a challenge. I just hate to be stopped. And at the moment, um, I'm keen to start working. I think we're going to start here in Portimão for the Grand Prix F1 because it's coming back to Portimão. Um, in terms of being there and, uh, and working the, in, the, in the paddock club. And um, trying to get some, um, as I say, I'm uh, trying to, um, to, to also to, to start uh, uh, driver coaching and management for younger kids to, to, to help them to, to, to go higher and to achieve what they want. And also pro- projects that will come, you know. And um, and that's the beauty of the things. You never know what can appear next year or in two years' time. You know, you just have to enjoy the you just have to enjoy the journey mm-hmm. and and um, and um, you know and don't be scared to to grab any new challenge because sometimes it can look small today, tomorrow can be a big thing, you know. So just just uh, and just have fun through the process. Thank you so much uh, for so being much. a part of the podcast. <laughs> 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 yeah, no problem.